Okay, we are in Romans chapter 6, and last week we ended after verse 15, we're going to be picking up at verse 16. Um, we're, we're into the middle of Paul's discussion of what it means to live under grace and not under law. And coming up in chapter 7 is some really exciting stuff that I'm, I'm very interested to talk with you about. Uh, but we want to work through what Paul continues to say here so that we have his reasoning in place and that we see more of the wonderful change that God made through Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Matthew 6.24 says this, No man can serve two masters. For he will either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, you know, when we say mammon, we always think, oh, that's money, which is true. But it's more than that. It's, it's anything that occupies you, that, that is the thing that you are enslaved to, the thing that you serve. And, you know, money's an obvious thing that we, we like to look at because we think, well, you know, all the rich people, they're serving money, right? And they do whatever they got to do to make sure they make more. Uh, and that's kind of an obvious thing for us to look at. But there are a lot of things that we can subject ourselves to and can, and can uh, kind of cause to be the thing that we worship or the thing that truly motivates our life. And here he's saying that we can't do that. Mammon, really, it's a transliteration of its Greek counterpart, Mammonus. And its origin is in Aramaic and Chaldee. We often think of it as money or wealth, and it isn't incorrect, but it's incomplete, as I was saying. It refers to that in which one places one's confidence. So in other words, what is it that makes you safe? What is it that makes you feel like you can fall asleep comfortably at night? Is it your house? Is it your wealth? Is it your family? You know, what is it? So it personifies wealth or money, but it means more than that one specific idol. It could be anything. Mammon is that in which one trusts. So what Jesus is really talking about here in Matthew and his account of this event in Luke is the fundamental issue of one's decision to trust in God or to trust in themselves. And honestly, that's what it comes down to throughout all of Scripture. We've seen it over and over again in our study of Genesis. We've seen it as we looked at the life of Abraham. We've seen it as we looked in the Hebrews. We're seeing it now in Romans. You have a choice. It is to trust yourself or to trust in God. You can't do both. You really cannot do both. When we walk according to the flesh as believers, we act as though 
Our trust is in ourselves. This is what flesh is. It is this this way of thinking, this way of processing events, this way of making decisions that seems like the thing to do based on our senses, based on our temporal life here on earth, based on what the world around us tells us. Put your trust in yourself. You can do it. We have this problem here in West Virginia where, you know, I have a little farm and everything I do on that little farm, I need to do it. I don't hire people in to do it. I don't bring in friends to do it. I do it because it's my responsibility. It's my property. I'm the guy who manages it. That might have worked great when the guy who was saying that, that's what he did for a living. But when I go off to Charleston and I work a job all day and then I come home at night and I think i got to run this whole property, it's the same picture, right? You're trusting in yourself. I'm guilty of this. I don't like to ask for help. It's hard for me to ask for help. So we act, when when we walk according to the flesh, we act as though our trust is in ourselves. But we who believe actually trust in God. This is why he says, walk according to the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you won't satisfy the lusts of the flesh. Our trust is really in God. But we sometimes act like our trust is in ourselves. It's a hard thing for us. We fall back into it over and over again in different ways. And as we grow in Christ and as we get to know Him better and as His grace permeates us more and we begin to understand all He's done and how free He's made us and who we are in Him, more and more we see ourselves choosing life, choosing to walk in the Spirit rather than walking in the flesh. Walking in the flesh is ill-fitting and uncomfortable to us. We are servants of God, slaves of righteousness. Do you see it there in verse 16? To whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, His servants ye are. John 8.34 says this, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Let's talk about that a little bit. Here's an explanation of the Greek behind committeth sin. Whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. The translators of the New English translation had this to say. This could be simply translated, everyone who sins. But the Greek is more emphatic, using the participle uh, poion in a construction with pos, a typical Johnine construction. What that means is this is the way John talks. This is the way John commonly wrote. Here, he, the repeated continuous action is in view. So when Jesus says, whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, that's how it's been translated here, continuous Repeated action is what's in view. He's not talking about, oh, I, you know, I messed up. I, I, you know, I've, I just, I just didn't act like myself. He's talking about this is how I live, and 
You know, we've talked about this before, right? This is how I live. This is the pattern of my life. This is what I choose. The one whose lifestyle, they go on, is characterized by repeated, continuous sin is a slave to sin. That one is not free. Sin has enslaved him. To break free from this bondage requires outside divine intervention. Although the statement is true at the general level, the person who continually practices a lifestyle of sin is enslaved to sin, the particular sin of the Jewish authorities, repeatedly emphasized in the fourth gospel, is the sin of unbelief. This is the translators of the New English Translation writing this. The present tense in this instance looks at the continuing refusal on the part of the Jewish leaders to acknowledge who Jesus is in spite of mounting evidence. So do you see it? This is what's going on here. Jesus is talking to these Jewish, these religious leaders of the time, these religious people who thought that all of the outward appearance that they were doing, that we talked about this morning in Sunday school, was the thing that counted, was the thing that mattered. They looked good. That's what they served. That's where their confidence lay. Mammon. In a different form. It was in religious performance. They needed to acknowledge who Jesus is. But they would not do that despite the evidence. Let's go on to verse 17 in Romans chapter 6. But God thank, God be thanked that ye were, ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. That doctrine was faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. Notice that Paul, he's talking here to a mixed audience, Jews and Gentiles. He says in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later on too, I think. But he says back here in chapter 1, who he's writing to. um, In in verse 7, he says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. That's who he's writing to. So it's a mixed audience. There were Jews in Rome. There were lots of Gentiles in Rome. And he's writing to all of them. So here back in 17 in chapter 6, he says, You were. These are the people who have been called to be saints, right? In other words, these are believing people. You were the servants of sin. You used to be that before you were changed and made new. But you have obeyed because you were afraid God would punish you. Is that what he says? No. You have obeyed from the heart. That's a completely different kind of obedience, isn't it? Do you remember when you were a kid and your parents would tell you to stay in bed or to do this or to do that and you would just not going to do it? You know, and, and, or you'd lay in bed and you'd pout and you'd squirm around and you'd make noise banging on something. You know, you'd you'd do whatever it was to kind of violate. You were obeying, but not really. You weren't obeying from the heart. 
It's that obedience from the heart that you can't fake. Did you ever think about that? Oh, we can have all kinds of beautiful religious performance. We can go out and live a great moral life. We can go out and treat people nice. Do all the wonderfully th- wonderful things for one another that everybody thinks are awesome. We can be a good man. A good woman. But from the heart, that you can't fake. It comes from one place. It comes from the Holy Spirit who lives inside you. It is fruit. He's the root. It's the fruit that is born by the children of God. What great news that is. That takes all the pressure off. If He's in there, if you believe in Him, and you are one spirit with Him, and you're in Him and He's in you, just like Noah was in the ark, sealed in there by God, which we're going to get around to that eventually, sealed in there by God, then there's going to be certain fruit that gets born, and that fruit is obedience from the heart that cannot be faked. So you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, which was faith in Jesus Christ apart from works. In other words, I can't do it. I never could do it. I failed at doing it. Only He is righteous. And I get His righteousness. That's great. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin. Did you see that? This is what God did for you. He made you free from sin. You became the servants, the doulos, the slaves of righteousness. That word in the Greek is doulos. Actually here it's a different form of the verb. It's doulou. Of the noun rather. Of doulou. But it's It's this concept of a slave. One who is obligated. Why are we obligated to righteousness? Well, because our entire nature changed. (laughs) It's like we were obligated to sin before because we had a sinful nature. It's who we were. We were just being ourselves. Well, now you have God's nature. Peter says you participate in the divine nature. You have God's nature Be yourself. And you're going to be righteous. You're going to act in righteous ways. You're going to, you are righteous internally. You are righteous. You have been pitched within and without. (laughs) Verse 19. I'm sorry, let me back up. Verse 18, let's stick on that. Uh, John chapter 8, 32 says this And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It doesn't put you in bondage. It makes you free. Because, it's, because all the things that are expected and required of a righteous person are just simply true of you. You are free to express them. You are free to not worry about sin. You are free of sin, from sin. You are free to act righteously. John 8.36, just a little further down the chapter. If the Son, therefore, 
shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's very free. Galatians 5.1 says it this way, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom, wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What is that yoke of bondage? It's that idea that you must do something in order to get something. That you must do good to get good. It's that idea that you are a slave to what you do to become something you're not. No, you've been made free. You've been made righteous, holy, blameless, beyond reproach, Scripture says. These are big terms. This is what Christ has done. You're free. 1 Peter 2.16 As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God. In other words, yes, you're free. You may do as you like. Please, go. Be yourself. But don't use that as some way to just, you know, finagle out a way to be, you know, to be in good graces with God but also live a lascivious lifestyle. You know, we don't misuse the freedom by going out and saying, yeah, you know, uh, sin doesn't count against me anymore. God forgot all my sins. I'm forgiven for everything I'm ever going to do, so <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go kill people and commit adultery and pillage and, you know. No. We don't use it as a cloak for that. We use it as servants of God. So do you see it? The message is the same thing that you hear in all the churches. <laughs> do the right stuff. But don't do it because if you don't, God's going to be upset with you. Don't do it because if you don't, you're not going to heaven. Don't do it because you might lose your salvation if you don't. Don't do it because you have to do it. It's your duty to God. Do it from the heart. Be who you actually were created to be. Be who He made you. Be a child of the one true God. Be a child of the King. You think about that? You're royal. You are a royal, not only royal, you are a royal priesthood. <laughs> How would a royal priest act? That's what you want. That's who you are. Be yourself. Drew Farley says it like this. Wake up in the morning. Remember who you are. And be yourself. <laughs> I like that. Very concise. Let's carry on in Romans 6 verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. In other words, to sin leading to more. Even so now, yield your members as servants to, to righteousness unto holiness. Do you see it? If you're a servant to righteousness, it leads to more righteousness. <laughs> it leads to more righteous behavior. That you, you can yield your body to whichever 
you want. You can walk according to the Spirit or you can walk according to the flesh. You're in the Spirit. Don't ever, don't ever forget that. You're in the Spirit even when you're walking according to the flesh. But you can walk according to either one of them. He's saying, choose the better one. There's a passage in the Old Testament. Okay. Let's, um, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for the way in which You inspired the Apostle Paul to write and the things You had him talk about and how You specifically gave him the mission of helping us poor, un, poor lost Gentiles. <laughs> we, we would have been completely lost without You. We would have been completely lost without you having Paul write these things down that speak to us so clearly. And we thank you that even in this day, 2,000 and some years later, we can still see what he's saying about the law versus grace, about works versus the gift of righteousness. Father, it is too great for us. We just are amazed by it. We thank you so much for all that you have done. We pray you'd open our hearts and minds to truly see and understand who we are and that we would truly know you more and more deeply. We want to never plumb those depths and we know, sir, that we cannot. We thank you for your greatness, for your mercy, for your grace, for your incredible love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.